Welcome to 18th episode of Foreign Correspondence Deeper into Hitchcock podcast. My name is Michał Leszczyk and I'm joined as always by my co-host Sebastian Smoliński. Hello. Uh, we are continuing our journey through Alfred Hitchcock's filmography. We go film by film and we try to provide as much context to the films that we are watching. Uh, our journey had a very uh, happy stop last times, uh, last time when we discussed um, the wonderful 39 steps based on a novel by John Buchan. And today we move on to a film which premiered in May 1936. The movie is called Secret Agent. The usual way of speaking about this film is first to clarify that this is a film not based on the no uh, novel by Joseph Conrad, Secret Agent. This, is, uh, uh, this will be actually Hitchcock's next film. This film is based on a novel Ashenden by W. Somerset Maugham. Uh, and uh, it's a spy thriller, very much close actually in basic design and in basic narrative momentum to the 39 steps. Uh, in a way, even I would say it's the film's uh, evil twin, <laughs> because as much as I loved 39 steps, here I find that the very same formula is working a little bit lesser. But uh, I know that you actually enjoy the film. Yes, so this is probably the first time in our um, foreign correspondence adventure that our, um, let's say, reception of the movie differs uh, slightly, at least. Yes, I like this film. I agree with you that it's kind of an evil twin. For example, when we think about, and I'm sure we'll come back to that later, when we think about Peter Lores' performances in Hitchcock movies, Uh, then we can see that compared to, uh, for example, to The Man Who Knew Too Much, it's certainly a kind of an evil twin of that movie. I mean, Peter Lorre is totally different here, and the, his appearance in this movie is in a way similar to The Man Who Knew Too Much, but also very different. Um, but that's, that's um, the reading if we consider this movie an let's say, a second evil twin. <laughs> It's an evil twin to the 39 steps and in a way to the man who knew too much, I would say. So that's kind of a... Uh, Hitchcock is trying to continue this development of the spy thriller narrative. But certainly this movie is also, uh, I would say, much less visible than the other, than the previous two. Uh, the man who knew too much and uh, the 39 steps, they are very highly regarded. They are available on Blu-ray nowadays and... I think that Secret Agent is still not released on Blu-ray, as far as I know. Uh, so that's one of the um, reasons probably, and maybe that's not, not the reason, but that's the result of this film being slightly lower uh, when it comes to the reception. It's regarded as a bit maybe worse than the two. And yeah, I... I would like to refer to the <laughs> uh, cartoon that uh, Mr. Jarosław Janowski made for this episode. It represents, in a way, the, the climax of the movie, the last uh, sequence, the, the train wreck sequence. And it shows, uh, you know, this glorious mess that we see. I mean, you know, everything goes to pieces, everything is destroyed. And in a way, that's kind of where we go with this movie. We, we, we go to this... Um, this, towards this destruction and maybe the, the movie really doesn't have a coherent sense of, you know, of being. It's not a coherent uh, work of art, but, all, but uh, I would say that what is interesting is that many 
uh, Hitchcock commentators would like to see it as one, would like to see it as a you know complex, dark narrative that have this has this um, sexual subtext that shows the world as a you know this void, as this immoral space, and you know so there are some people are trying to see this movie as a coherent whole, but I would say what I like about these his British movies is precisely the fact that they are not always coherent, that they are uh, sometimes. Um, they have some internal contradictions. They have some subplots that really do not go anywhere. And they're just, you know, just a strange collections of set pieces. That's also part of criticism of these movies, that they are just a, a collection of, you know, spectacular set pieces and Hitchcock didn't really work work the whole thing through. So, so yeah, I liked it, but I'm curious why uh, you received it so uh, negatively. Well, I have a feeling that you are trying to make a rich and strange out of Secret Agent <laughs> because I love Glorious Messes and, uh, you know, Rich and Strange was a wonderful Hitchcock mess. But I think that, well, I, I, I cannot, you know, detect this kind of joy in Secret Agent that would, you know, validate it as a, as a joyous mess. It seems to me simply... Um, not working, you know, on some basic level, and I think it may have something to do with uh, with the presence of John Gilgood. You know, I uh, now that I think of it, also thinking about future Hitchcock films, I think that the li likability of the main character is very, very important in Hitchcock. You know, if we don't like the main character, uh, like Cary Grant, of course, and I'm talking about those comical thrillers, uh, not like Marnie, you know, but uh, but it's you know Robert Donat was such a effortless, uh, charming warm witty presence of, on the screen it didn't seem you know that if he was even acting you know it was just this as close to Cary Grant I would say as as one could get here you know we have this very serious actor John Gilgood who I don't know either was not in on the joke because he doesn't seem to have any fun in this part I think he was probably playing it as you know as one would expect a distinguished actor of the British theater to play uh, a, a distinguished novel by a distinguished author because uh, uh, W. Somerset Mom was a distinguished author and uh, you know I, I think that John Gilgood simply thought that he was uh, in a serious movie and even if Hitchcock didn't think so and even if Peter Laurie didn't think so by you know uh, uh, going completely cr crazy and currently also I would say offensively in his per performance uh, uh, you know it's almost uh, like a ethnic uh, caricature what he is doing then then no simply John Gilgood is cold he's you know detached he doesn't seem to partake in the in the fun of the of the story uh, there was always a feeling in Robert Donat I think in 39 steps that he was slightly amused by what he, what was happening to him even when it was very dangerous there was this basic level of enjoyment of being in this story I don't think that's the case about uh, Secret Agent. I think he's a very, very cold actor, and um, uh, that he's probably my my main problem with the with the film. That uh, I simply don't feel like w watching him much in this uh, in this Hitchcockian universe. Um, actually, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> I mean, I also I agree that uh, John Gilgood. It's not that he he's not very good in this picture. That's not what you're trying to say and that's not what I think. Uh, but I think we both may say that, you know, he was miscast. And when I was trying to dig deeper into that, I was a bit surprised to discover that it was one of his very first um, cinematic uh, performances. 
that he was, of course, uh, already famous as Hamlet. And actually Hitchcock was trying to, um, you know, encourage him to star in Secret Agent by saying that this film is just, uh, quote, another Hamlet only in modern dress, end of quote. So, you know, maybe Hitchcock was playing on this Shakespearean note, uh, probably without any apparent reason when we watched the movie. But, uh, and also, John Gilgood wasn't very comfortable at the set, as you, 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 you say that, you see that, and we have uh, testimonies, you know, we have uh, Hitchcock biography, which confirms that he wasn't feeling uh, very well on the set. Ma Madeline Carroll, uh, who was also in The 39 Steps, she liked, uh, or at least she could, she could bear Hitchcock style of, you know, directing actors, constant pranks, uh, teasings, uh, stupid jokes. She could kind of uh, get on with that. But uh, John Gilgood was different, and um, there are these testimonies which say that he felt very insecure in front of the, also in front of the camera, not only in front of Hitchcock's camera, but generally he didn't feel very well. And I agree with you that you can see that very well. It's uh, when it comes to the protagonist's uh, appearance and uh, power on the screen, uh, it, it's nothing compared with Robert Donat, which is strange because we we know that you know now we know John John Gilgood is also a, was also a giant on the, of the screen in a way. Um, I saw him earlier than I saw uh, Secret Agent. I saw him in um, Orson Welles's Falstaff, for example. Uh, and it's a bit of trivia, but he he appeared in Polish movie in Andrzej Wajda's the 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 conductor I think is the, the orchestra conductor the orchestra conductor that's the English title of this film from 1980, and now it's like an, his early appearance and he yes he it wasn't a, a good choice Hitchcock wanted to have Donat once again but mm, couldn't pull it through because of that actor's other obligations so we have this I would say the weakest link but what fascinates me in Secret Agent uh, is the this disparate acting styles that we find in the movie. And I, I think it's really something interesting, which shows you that uh, although maybe Hitchcock wanted to be considered already a master entertainer, entertainer he didn't pay enough attention to, um, you know, kind of making this these uh, performances coherent. Because we have John Gilgood, who's a, a bit of a shy character on the screen. And he is a bit of a Hamlet. It's maybe, <laughs> it's not interestingly shown in this film. Uh, I would say, but there there is this hint that he's he's struggling with making a decision to kill or not to kill, right? Uh, but it's you know it's maybe a pop Shakespeare in this case. Mm -hmm. But we also we also have Peter Lorre that we already mentioned, uh, and he plays the general. You said that it's an almost ethnic stereotype, uh, and it's true. But w what is funny is that um, in the source um, text in Ashenden stories by Mom. Uh, Peter Lorre, uh, I mean, the, the general is actually a hairless, he's a hairless Mexican. And because of uh, the Breen office, because of uh, American censorship, they couldn't um, say it on screen. Like they, they, they didn't want to, you know, they didn't want to portray Mexicans in a, in a bad light. It's, it's, it's strange. I found it in um, uh, John Bilheimer's, uh, the censorship book, uh, the Hitchcock and the Censors, I think that's the title. And he said that, you know, they, they, they couldn't accept that. And that's why in the movie it's totally reversed. He's named uh, Hairless Mexican because he has lots of hair and he's not Mexican, which kind of shows you the uh, absurdity of the, whole, of the whole plot, of the whole movie, uh, The Secret Agent as a, as a bit of an absurd movie. And we have the third uh, major star, uh, Robert Young, who I, I would say, he's, I think he's pretty good. Do, do you like his performance in this film? 
Yes, I think it's probably the best uh, thing about the film, apart from Ma- Madeline Carroll, who is, of course, uh, good. She's doing basically the same role that she did be- before. Uh, but um, yeah, for me, uh, especially when we remember that Hitchcock just finished two such accomplished films as The Man Who Knew Too Much and uh, The 39 Steps, I think it it's only fair that you know he made a little bit of a mistake, I think, with this film. Uh, but um, for me, the more I think about it, I think that uh, Hitchcock is good at pranks, but also he's good at pranking his audience famously. And, uh, you know, there's always this feeling that, you know, those films are just trifles, that they're just, you know, things of pleasure, you know, like 39 Steps, you know, they're not consequential, they don't tell, you know, eternally resounding stories. And when it's, when the trick, when the performance, you know, is uh, swift and quick and funny and sexy and everything fits, uh, like in the case of uh, the 39 steps, then the satisfaction is so full that really, you know, there's no space for anything else. It's just a pure cinematic high. And he, and in the case like Secret Agent, I think when those tiny things really go wrong, you know, like miscasting the main lead, you know, the pacing and the story, which really doesn't resound because, you know, we are in just before the Second World War and we are watching a story basically based in the, you know, First World War. And it it doesn't seem resonant for the time, you know, this was the time that even Hollywood was starting, you know, to wake up to the reality of what's happening. So, so I think that, yeah, those a sum of tiny mistakes with some major ones, for me, it sort of spoils the fun, you know, it sort of spoils this cinematic high. Um, and uh, this is why I, I, I find it difficult, you know, to enjoy this film. I, I definitely um, uh, appreciate Robert Young and uh, and Madeline Carroll, I think, is always uh, fun to, to watch. But for me, there's something missing at the center of this, uh, of this film. Yeah, I agree. And also that the movie is in a way it's split into halves, right? And we have this, the first climax is the, um, the first assassination scene, uh, which I was surprised uh, to find that Charles Barr called it portentously silly. And he says that it's probably the, one of the most, you know, silly, stupid sequences Hitchcock ever shot. Uh, do you agree with that? Do you all, are you also irritated by these small touches? Like for example, um, this overlapping sound of <laughs> of the dog howling uh, in this assassination scene? Uh, not really, but, you know, for me, the basic absence, and I'm not sure that, you know, Barr mentions this, is that, you know, when you look at The Man Who Knew Too Much and The 39 Steps, these films are filled with very interesting secondary characters. You know, uh, in 39 Steps, we have this tragic, you know, the crofter's wife, the, the, you know, we have those funny gentlemen on the, on the train. We have the milkman, you know, who winks at adultery and, you know, becomes complicit. It's, it's, it's a great world of those eccentrics. And I think, you know, that's something that Hitchcock inhaled with, with Dickens, you know, and with Pickwick Papers and with this love of eccentricity that's so wonderful in British culture. And here, this film, you know, there are not really, you know, many of those like small, tiny portraits of those strange gentlemen and weird ladies. So this is in in this way also, you know, it lacked for me Mm. something because Hitchcock is really great at doing those small vignettes, you know, of they're a little bit like small caricatures, like small cartoons, you know. He, he will do that in Rare Window, you know, with those, you know, neighbors. And uh, and here, I think, you know, this 
this film lacked not only momentum, but I think it was not populated with enough um, interesting secondary characters for me. I agree. I agree with that. Although I would like just to mention maybe the the two of them uh, just for the record. Um, this movie has surprising beginning uh, because what we see in the very first scene is the the fake wake we could say or the, of the main protagonist who gets this new name Ashenden um, Richard Ashenden as far as I remember. So the first scene is we see people mourning him. We see the 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 coffin in the middle and people mourning him, and we have a. A bit of an eccentric character there. We have a, probably a war veteran. We see his uh, war medals, and he's a one-handed guy. And Hitchcock once again makes a kind of a stupid, uh, in a way nowadays certainly offensive joke when he shows that this man is barely able to get this coffin, and uh, he makes another mess. The, the first mess in this movie, you know, the, the coffin drops down, and we see that it's empty. Um, so we kind of we we, we have fun, or the the audience at the time had fun. Uh, by laughing, laughing uh, at this at this one-handed guy, but we have this we have this person, and why I'm saying about this first scene is that um, we mentioned, or I think generally many people mentioned that uh, the Thirty Nine Steps and North by Northwest, of course, are these Hitchcock movies that really uh, gave the formula for James Bond movies which I, I'm a fan of. I grew up with these films, um, even though it's hard for me to watch, to rewatch some of them from 1960s or 70s. But here we, we you know, in You Only Live Twice in, in a James Bond movie, we also have this fake uh, funeral of, of James Bond in the very first scene. And here, here we have this idea kind of in this 1930s version. Uh, I'm not saying that, you know, James Bond owes a lot to Secret Agent, but there are these these thrilling ideas that will be widely used by other mainstream movies. Um, or for example, I also like this this uh, small touch. Generally, I think the the um, association of Swiss culture with chocolate is a very obvious one. It's not like the, the smartest idea you could get, but Hitchcock was okay with this. Uh, you know, with using the the most obvious associations um, at that time, at least. But we have this scene in a in a shop. There is this old guy with a huge beard going to take this message, which is uh, just somewhere in the in one of the chocolate bars, uh, in a huge row of chocolate chocolate bars is, is the one with the coded message. And I, li li I like the idea of making um, this old man, this very old man, a spy, you know, and it was a bit surprising. So, I mean, there are some touches like that. I'm not trying maybe to kind of excavate this movie and make it like maybe, you know, it's far better than uh, The 39 Steps because it's, you know, I don't know, because it's a bit stranger or, or something. But I, I had some fun with that, but I, I totally agree with you that maybe uh, watching that today, we, we see these inconsistencies and the, the, the miscasts uh, in a much harsher light, you know, that, that we, 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 it's more difficult for us to enjoy it because it's from 1930s. And if it's such an old movie, it really should be good, you know, for us to really enjoy it and not just appreciate it from a historical distance. Mm -hmm. So probably that's, that's, uh, I mean, I more or less agree with you, but I still didn't have the, this feeling of, um, you know, like this ultimate fail that I had with some of his uh, silent movies. For example, you know, famously, famously Downhill was was the, the, the movie after the, the Brilliant Lodger, right? Mm -hmm. uh, here we have something like that. We have, um, you know, this... Uh, in that case, we had the um, Ivor Novello again, appearing again. Here we, we could have Robert Donat appearing again. 
So, okay, so maybe the question I should ask you is, do you think that if just simply by substituting John Gilgood with um, Robert Donat, you think you could enjoy it? What do you think? It's never as simple as that. You know, a film is an organism. So when you change one organ, all the other organs are changing. Uh, no, it's, you know, uh, in all fairness, first of all, I do appreciate those elements that you mentioned. Of course, they are there. I'm not saying it's a horrible film. And b by the way, when I watched it first, which was around 13 years ago, when I first, you know, watched Hitchcock, uh, the Hall of Hitchcock, I remember that I had no problem with Secret Agent. You know, I simply watched it after uh, I watched 39 Steps, after I watched Lady Vanishes, and I thought, okay, this is fun. You know, this is this is good. So I, I never, I you know, as, as, as this sort of first viewing of Hitchcock, it was quite a nice experience. I think it's only now in hindsight that I, you know, maybe may have more appreciation for uh, for those Hitchcock thrillers that really, really work. I'm simply trying to say that this time around, this movie didn't bring me much pleasure. Maybe in 13 years from now, when I revisit it, you know, who knows? <laughs> Although it's a podcast about Hitchcock movies, you know, I think we are both allowed to say that we don't like something. So I, I'm not trying to convince you, of course, but I'm just um, trying to maybe just find something I, I like in this movie. And the one more thing I, I like, and you, you mentioned, I think you mentioned that when we were discussing Waltzes from Vienna and some other movies was, you know, Hitchcock's um, eagerness to uh, include sexual innuendos and sexual subtexts uh, to his films. I didn't really see that that well in his previous movies. Uh, maybe it was too subtle for me, but in this one, you know, it's right in your face. You know, the, the, the cer certain maybe quote-unquote obscenity of some scenes. For example, we, we first see uh, Madeline Carroll when uh, she's in a bathrobe, as far as I remember, and this, this scene is played in a bathroom, and Peter Lore, who's, you know, handling English language as he does, he's saying that when he discovers that she's not really Ascendant's wife, he says, oh, you are free to me, you are free to me, which, is, which I found very, uh, you know, almost, once again, almost offensively... Um, ambiguous you know because she's free to you know to pursue her romantic interest but also i think there is some some subtext of you know of prostitution in that in that particular line because of the way and because of the uh, you know the way he uses english you know this mm. slightly with, with, with a slight mistake you know it's not really well, correct isn't he chasing a maid at one point who is escaping him and he's like in a predatory way chasing her. I think, you know, that that's, you know, as far as Me Too is concerned, I think Peter Laurie character is definitely, you know, the um, predatory male uh, and cheerfully predatory, I would say. Yeah, he is. And uh, we could approach it with some kind of understanding because he was uh, heavily addicted to morphine at the time. And uh, that was the, and that was one of the problems of the set. So. Uh, contrary to the you know popular belief, even Hitchcock sets uh, could be you know uh, sometimes uh, troubled by this kind of stuff. And if you know that, if you know this biographical bio, bio inform information about Peter Lorre, you 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 kind of can tell. I mean, he's so strange in this movie, but in a different way than the man who knew too much, right? He was really a sinister presence in that, and that was very rewarding, I think, for, for, for the audience, for us, when we were watching this movie, he was really scary. And in this film, as you, you mentioned, The Maid, there's also very, very strange short scene with a girl, 
like she's trying to kind of uh, there's like eight year old girl in a in a train uh, in the in the mountains and she, he, he's trying to get her attention in a strange way you know he's a and and he's a and he's a per, he's a character who really enjoys killing it's one of the rare occasions in in Hitchcock's movies at this time um, so yeah that's that's kind of disturbing yeah absolutely and if you imagine this set you know with the ultra stiff John Gilgood and uh, high uh, Peter Laurie <laughs> and you know Hitchcock trying to juggle it all I think that you know probably was quite quite a set but uh, yeah I you know maybe in 10 years we can do a mirror of this podcast and we will be revisiting all the films after 10 years and we will see how we changed in relation to them this time around I wasn't a fan of Secret Agent but I'm looking forward to a film that is next which is uh, Sabotage based on Secret Agent by Joseph Conrad which I remember liking a lot so hopefully uh, this impression will uh, uh, last okay, yeah um, me too I also uh, liked Sabotage when I when I saw it I'm very happy we finally had different opinions <laughs> Uh, you know, maybe now you will believe us that we are not brothers, <laughs> um, but just friends uh, who discuss Hitchcock. And yeah, so we're looking forward to the to the next episode. Uh, any final remarks? Uh, well, not about the movie, but I just wanted to say that uh, if you like this podcast, please uh, follow our um, fan page on Facebook. Uh, it's Foreign Correspondence Deeper into Hitchcock. And also please uh, rate us, share us, uh, tell uh, other Hitchcock fans about this podcast. Uh, we are hoping for these episodes to reach uh, as many listeners as possible. So for now, it's uh, I think that's all in yet another episode of Foreign Correspondence. Deeper into Hitchcock.